Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for our Wellbeing Wednesday podcast. This podcast is a forum where you can listen in as members share successful strategies on well-being and resiliency in both their personal lives and professional practices. My name is Rena Sackett, and I'm currently ASHP's Executive Fellow in Association Leadership and Management, and I will be your host today for ASHP's Wellbeing Wednesday podcast. With me today are two exceptional individuals, Dr. Molly Washer, Clinical Programs Manager of Specialty Pharmacy from the Johns Hopkins Home Care Group, and Dr. Tara Feller, Clinical Pharmacy Manager from Fredert and the Medical College of Wisconsin. Both doctors Washer and Feller served as faculty members for the Wellbeing and Resilience Certificate. And today we'll be talking a little bit more about their work in well-being and also some of the highlights from their contributions to the certificate program. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Feller and Dr. Washer, to discuss the topic of today, redesigning the work system to prioritize well-being. So as an introduction to our topic, I'd like to first orient our listeners briefly to kick us off. So whether you're joining us for the first time today, or if you are returning from previous Wellbeing Wednesday podcasts, it's important to center our conversation today on why this is so important. Addressing clinician burnout is an initiative that ASHP values and and takes very seriously. So much so that it is embedded in our strategic plan, which emphasizes our commitment to improve patient care by enhancing the well-being of uh, pharmacists, student pharmacists, and pharmacy technicians. And this is all under the pillar of our patients and their care. So at a very high level, we view healthcare worker burnout as a patient safety risk and as a threat to the healthcare workforce, which of course includes the pharmacy workforce. I think it's also important to emphasize that we know from the literature that this isn't purely about individual resiliency and coping skills. We recognize that the healthcare workforce encounters unique stressors throughout their education and their training and their careers that contribute to burnout. So while personal resiliency is important and really is a muscle that can be built and strengthened, the literature does show that this is a systems problem that requires systems-based approaches. This is something ASHP is committed to, and we hope that through this podcast, we can reinforce ASHP's efforts on preventing burnout and fostering well-being and resilience, but also to highlight what others are doing to lead meaningful organizational change. So in this work, it is often said that the goal is to fix the workplace, not the worker. So let's dive into our first question. I'd like to start with Dr. Washer, and then we can hand it over to Dr. Feller. So how did you become interested in the topic of burnout, well-being, and resilience? So for me, when I was starting to go through residency, I saw a significant increase in the number of publications and presentations on the topic of well-being and resiliency, and even more data coming out showing the rates of burnout in healthcare, as you talked about. My interest there is really twofold. Uh, First, as a manager, it's really important to me to create an environment that promotes wellness and works to reduce burnout as much as possible within my employees. And it's important one, because I care about my employees and want to retain them, which I assume all managers would echo those sentiments. 
But additionally, from a business standpoint, there is more growing research showing a reduction in quality and financial performance when employees are burnt out. And then personally, while I have career goals that are really important for me to achieve, I also really want to set myself up for a long career in pharmacy leadership. I've seen people start their careers really hot and not focus on self-care and then get burnt out really quickly. So I'm proactively trying to balance my career ambitions and the stress that I feel for my job with my ability to take care of myself as well. I notice personally when I practice more well-being tactics that I am able to do my job better. Yeah, this is Tara. I would agree with everything Molly said, including I initially became interested in the topics of burnout, well-being, and resilience during residency. Like she said, we started to hear more about clinician burnout. And then I actually helped lead some early efforts in our department as a resident to assess if it was something that we really needed to think about for our pharmacy workforce at that time. Through some sort of initial efforts, it was a pretty cursory survey, we learned that it was indeed, burnout was indeed something that specifically our pharmacist workforce at the time was experiencing. And since then, it's something that I spent quite a bit of time studying, specifically for the pharmacist workforce at the Johns Hopkins Hospital, where I worked before moving to my current position through some grant work. Through that, I've really learned about healthcare workforce burnout in general and you know, many of those negative implications that you discussed at the beginning of our podcast, Rena. And then as Molly spoke about, you know, as I progress through my career, I really do realize the importance of addressing not only my own personal well-being and resilience, but then as Molly said, of those that I manage and lead as well. And I think, you know, particularly over the last year, as the pandemic really challenged healthcare in in ways that I had never experienced before, and I don't think many others had either, it really became something that we have to put some focused effort into. So I continue to be interested in how we can address this, you know, both personally and at the systems level, like we talked about earlier. And I think it's really important that our willingness to keep talking about it does not go away because it's not going away. Burnout's not going away anytime soon. And we really need to be able to focus on on well-being and resilience to sort of counter it. Right. And I think you both have great perspectives as managers, right? So thank you for sharing your well-being journeys with us and, and how this applies to your own practices. So many people often think of burnout as an individual problem. You know, if we just go take a vacation, we'll be fine. And that's well-being. What is misunderstood about this frame of thinking when we look at what contributes to burnout? I think that's a great question. And I think really the, you know, part of the core misunderstanding is really not thinking about what burnout actually is. So as it's defined, it's a triad of experiencing high emotional exhaustion, high depersonalization, and low personal accomplishment. And you as an individual or me as an individual, we're not and cannot be solely responsible for or entirely in control of those three factors, especially as it relates to your work life. An individual doesn't really become highly emotionally exhausted, for example, all of a sudden. So the thought that taking a vacation and then coming right back to the same environment will be helpful, it doesn't really make a lot of sense when you stop and think about it. That individual, or if it was me, myself, I might feel refreshed for a day or so because of the vacation, but nothing causing those burnout feelings has truly been addressed while you're gone, unless something drastic happened, but likely not. So to truly address burnout and increased well-being and resilience, one has to understand at many levels what is truly driving those feelings of burnout. 
there's definitely some individual responsibility in completing this assessment and, and addressing factors within the individual's control, but there also has to be a commitment to go beyond that individual assessment and look at those larger scale or system factors. So while vacations are certainly helpful and nice and encouraged, I don't think that it really addresses what is causing the burnout. I like a, a lot of what Tara just shared, but I think statements like that really set you up for failure. While individual care is really important, without the right environment, as Tara mentioned, created by the entire organization, and more importantly, even the local team unit, the employee can't succeed with just self-care tactics alone. And the organization and the individual both have an important part to play in preventing burnout. Hopefully through this podcast, we'll be able to provide a few examples that demonstrate how systemic efforts can impact the entire team's well-being. I know my leadership team was actually talking about this very topic recently during a meeting. We were discussing the need for wellness initiatives to get at the root of what's causing stress versus just telling your employees to go breathe. While meditation for me personally is a big proponent of my self-care tactics, you can ask anyone I work with. Telling someone to go breathe isn't going to solve the issues and really what the root is of what's causing the employee's stress. So overall, wellness programs need to be multimodal and encompass a lot more than just self-care tactics. Definitely. And I I appreciate you both going into that. I think that is a question that our audience members probably have, and that's something that commonly comes up. But I I liked your points there. It's, It's really not about the worker. It's about the workplace. And it's, it's bigger than the individual. So you did introduce this, this idea of burnout being largely a problem at the systems level related to factors in the workplace and in organizations. So how does this all tie in to this topic of redesigning the work system? I think at times the wellness initiatives or what you hear people talk about them and focus on is really what's going on at a large organizational level or those self-care tactics again. But there's a lot of opportunities to optimize and redesign workflows in a way that not only helps you operationally, but also helps burnout. You can do both at the same time and they aren't mutually exclusive. Most of the items can be done within an individual work unit, which means you can implement change more quickly and have a lot more flexibility. Every year, my team splits up into small work groups to address different items that are important to everyone that are really getting at what is causing people to be stressed. Last year, we had a a wellness and resiliency work group that specifically looked at those items. And while we did plan some fun events like a workout challenge and a water challenge that you may more traditionally associate with wellness, the group also had a lot of operational items that really addressed what was causing people stress. Um, And these were identified when we were viewed as a group, again, what was going on during the day that made you feel like you weren't able to get through everything and weren't providing you value at the end of the day. And through those discussions, we were able to identify and prioritize operational items that we could address that would not only help us in our efficiency, but also help reduce the stress of everyone on our team. So hopefully it's actually encouraging for managers to hear that when you're optimizing your workflow, you can also reduce employee burnout at the same time. I completely agree with Molly. I think sometimes we either oversimplify addressing burnout to, well, the individual has to deal with it, or we maybe overcomplicate it thinking that it has to be something that the organization does. And that really there are very practical, smaller things that are more within sort of a work unit's control that can be done and really will improve the day-to-day. And when you think about as an individual, that's really what you're looking for most of the time is and that might be contributing to your burnout is what could I do differently in my day to day so that 
those feelings of emotional exhaustion and depersonalization and, and limited personal accomplishment aren't accumulating and, and ultimately resulting in burnout. So I think we'll go into some of those practical strategies that we talked about in our certificate program. But yeah, I completely agree with Molly in that it doesn't have to be overly complicated or overly large scale that really looking at your work system, and your workflows can provide a lot of answers. Yeah, that is so great. And, you know, something I, I, I really liked that you mentioned was, you know, you, you asked your team members and they provided you with that feedback. So although you, you had some of those fun individual activities, you know, some of those operational items that they brought up can be really meaningful and that could be an opportunity for change. So that kind of leads into my next question for you. For those that are curious about this topic and are looking for practical ways to integrate this, you know, into their own work environments, what does redesigning the work system look like in a practical sense? So when Molly and I started to outline our presentations for the certificate program, we really realized that redesigning the work system to address burnout and increase well-being and resilience could take so many different forms. So it was really fun for us to explore a lot of practical ways to do so. A few of the topics that we covered were things like improving your physical workspace with techniques that span, you know, simple use of 5S to being more strategic with what types of work you do where. And that, you know, that last one, what types of work you do where, that initially might seem like, oh, that's pretty large scope. Like, where are you going to come up with additional office space or or whatever it might be? But really sort of breaking down your day and the activities that you're doing, you could really think more strategically about where am I most productive or what do I actually need to get this type of work done? And you might be able to look around your workplace and say like, oh, well, you know, for this one hour of the day when I need quiet time, this cubicle isn't being used and it would allow for that. So again, pretty simple in nature, but really can have a big impact. We also discussed optimizing specifically in healthcare, the electronic health record for the work that members of the pharmacy workforce do every day. When I think about the EHR, I think it should be designed to support the clinician in providing patient care and not vice versa, where the EHR dictates how a clinician provides patient care or the efficiency with which they are able to do so. And I think sometimes we get a little bit stuck in thinking, well, this is the way it has to be done because that's how my EHR says it has to be done. But really, our EHRs are getting pretty sophisticated and there's a lot more flexibility and customization that perhaps was possible when, you know, it was first introduced. So I think just taking the time to think through like, well, does it have to take 25 clicks to do this one activity can really lend itself again to to providing that sense of efficiency and just not this sort of, well, this one simple task takes so long because the EHR is set up that way. So I think that was one that we talked a little bit about. And then the final practical strategy I'll mention is, again, really truly assessing those factors that may be driving burnout in our work environment. These assessments can be super simple surveys that you design in-house or with your team, or, you know, there are more complex validated tools that could be used. But ultimately, it's really hard to fix something if you're not sure what's broken. So that was something that we talked a little bit about as well as You need a way to really understand, and like Molly said, asking your team, right? Like that's a simple way to figure out what's really broken, but you do really need to figure out what is driving those feelings of burnout and hindering well-being and resilience before you can address those. So try to be very practical, but just asking and figuring it out is a very practical strategy, I think. 
To build off of Tara, I'll share two examples of how we've specifically done this for my team more recently. First, my team came up with a new workflow for our pharmacists, particularly those that are working in our call center, where they have scheduled inbound and outbound call time during the day. We knew when we were designing the new schedule that it wasn't perfect, but we wanted to give it a try. So we piloted it for a week in early April, and the pilot went really well. After a week of assessing the pilot and getting feedback, we decided to implement it permanently. And since the implementation, I've received a lot of positive feedback that it allows staff to get more done during the day. That while this new schedule reduces their flexibility, it actually provides them more dedicated time to focus on one thing at a time. One feedback that really stood out to me is that several of the pharmacists have said they actually felt less stressed at the end of the day and felt like they were able to accomplish more of what they needed to. I would say our goal really going into it was to be able to work more efficiently and get more work done at the end of the day. And it was really nice to see that that was also causing less burnout for our team and that really was having both aims at the same time with one initiative. Another example, with one of our work groups this year, they're specifically looking at our new patient management software that went live in August of 2020. They are working to identify opportunities to standardize and be more efficient in our new system. As Tara mentioned, I think sometimes we think everything in the EHR is really set the way it is, but there are a lot of ways that you can use your EHR and use your IT teams to make it better and more efficient for you. Specifically, this group has worked to significantly improve our documentation of patient education using more standardized phrases that make it easier to cover in other disease states and also makes the documentation faster. I think what's impressed me most about this group, and Raina, you commented on earlier, is that it's jointly led by management and frontline staff. And most of the ideas and the work come from frontline staff, which I think is really important when you're redesigning workflows with reducing burnout in mind. Yeah, that's so great. And something I picked up just hearing you both speak, you know, thinking outside the box, technology has advanced vastly. Sometimes we don't take a step back and say, hey, is this really the most efficient way to be doing this? So I love that idea, looking at whatever program you're using and seeing what flexibilities are available to make your EHR better for your workflow. So something else I'm curious to know is what are some of the challenges that you have faced in your own work environments with putting this into practice? Time and competing demands will always be a challenge. It seems in healthcare, particularly this past year, that there are always new pressures such as new regulations or an audit or increasing patient volumes that seem more urgent and pull your attention away from maybe more long-term goal of reducing burnout. So it can be hard to find the time and the motivation to focus on something that may not feel as urgent. I think that's something that we will always struggle with. I think the other thing I've seen with my team in particularly some individuals, is facing some staff resistance to change. I think everyone has members on their team that love change, while others need a little bit of a push to work up to new changes and new workflows. So I've learned for the workflow updates that I need to spend more time explaining the change and how it impacts the individual employee and allow for adequate time for feedback and questions. Similarly, using pilots were appropriate to test ideas, but really make it a pilot. I've seen a lot of folks put in a pilot where There isn't an end date and there isn't terms for how that pilot will look. And it's really more of a soft rollout. We just are too nervous to call it a new workflow and roll it out. Where I think if you have a pilot that says, I'm going to try this for a week, let's see how it goes. It could go great or it could go horrible, but at least you've tried it. 
And I think those are really good lessons to learn, particularly when you're doing something that maybe really overhauls the workflow, trying something for a period of time, and then reassessing how it went and making changes is really helpful. Completely agree with Molly, per usual. The one thing that I'll add, and I think maybe just reinforce, because I think Molly already covered it, is pilots shouldn't last forever. So you shouldn't call something that you're, you know, that you want to try a pilot with no defined like reassessment points. I do think that really deters people from wanting to try something different, even if it might be addressing something that's really, really important, potentially addressing, right? Like that's the reason we're trying it to see if it helps with burnout and increasing well-being and resilience. One thing that I'll add, and again, I think Molly covered it, is you have to start somewhere. Unfortunately, burnout in the healthcare workforce and in our pharmacy workforce is not going to just go away. So you have to start somewhere and be willing to commit to it. And that starting somewhere, again, should be talking to your team, figuring out what is causing these feelings, and then brainstorming where you go from there and, and what is the most practical next step. But I think, again, like Molly said, taking the time to commit to doing that can be can be really hard and can be really hard in healthcare, but you can't make burnout something that you'll think about when you have time because you'll never find the right time. So that would be the one thing that I have found probably the most challenging when trying to put some of these things into practice. Absolutely. And thank you both. You you have shared incredible insight into this topic and you know, I think learners often learn from others' challenges and mistakes made along the way. So I appreciate you both sharing your experiences and what this looks like in a practical sense. So my final question is, what advice do you have for those listening in on how they can lead change in their own organizations to redesign work systems that prioritize well-being? I think what I'll just reiterate is really starting somewhere and acknowledging that burnout could be happening in your workplace with your team, even if there are not sort of overt signs or signals that it is happening. You have to probably ask. A lot of people won't come to you and say, I feel burnt out. But if you're hearing things from your team or from your team members that are starting to sound like, I'm, I leave work so tired every day or every day at work is so draining or, or whatever it might be. Those might be your signals that, that you do need to do something and take a step back and, and maybe redesign work systems to prioritize your team's well-being. So I guess that would be my one final piece of advice is that it's not going to always be super obvious that burnout or well-being or resilience are what needs to be addressed, but you need to be actively thinking about that for, for yourself and for those that you work with. I agree. I think first and foremost, start small and start with something that's within your control. As we've talked about, it's important to understand what the stressors and the pain points are for your team's workflow and work environment. But when choosing something to address, particularly your highest priority items, you want to pick something that's within your team's control and not something that needs to be changed at the entire organizational level if you're trying to change something there, you're going to be really frustrated and it's likely not to be successful. Second, just try something. We've talked a lot about pilots today, but just want to reiterate, you don't want to wait for the perfect solution that solves every piece of the puzzle that just instantly is that snap of a finger and people are suddenly not burnt out when they go at the end of the day. 
if you wait for that, you're, you're going to be waiting a long time. None of the initiatives my team has implemented have been perfect. I, I could give you a list right now of all of their faults, but for the most part, there were more benefits than there were weaknesses with the new initiatives. And if there weren't, then we went back and we went back to square one to think about how we could do it better. Just because an initiative, you know, you may not decide to implement it permanently doesn't mean that you failed. It just provides you more information and at least shows your team that you're willing to try things, which will hopefully be able to facilitate that conversation and allow people to come to you with more ideas and be open with you and having that conversation. Yeah, most definitely. And I I appreciate the both of you sharing your experiences with us. It's inspiring to see leaders in this space pave the way on what some of those more practical things are that can be started here and now. You know, I love what both of you said on there's no perfect time to start, right? You know, healthcare worker burnout was a problem before the pandemic and research has demonstrated that it has only worsened during the pandemic. So now more than ever, we need to be looking for ways to fix the workplace so that healthcare workers feel supported and and empowered to perform at their best for for their patients and also for public health. It's often said that we can't resilience our way out of this. So something else I wanted to highlight really quickly as well is, you know, as we wrap up here, ASHP does remain committed to identifying meaningful solutions to prevent burnout in the pharmacy workforce. And we have educational programming, podcasts, and also other web resources available. And in addition, if if you are interested in learning more about what our speakers discussed today, they are two expert faculty members in our recently launched certificate program. So please go ahead and check that out to learn more on on their topic of redesigning the work system to prioritize well-being. So that is all the time we have today. I want to thank Dr. Feller and Dr. Washer for joining us to discuss the important topic of redesigning the work system to prioritize well-being. If you haven't had the chance, I do encourage you to access our webpage, wellbeing.ashp.org, where you can learn more about our partnership with the National Academy of Medicine, other resources to promote wellness, and then also strategies to manage burnout. So please be sure to join us here each month for more on well-being and resilience. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.